Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Atheist Experience. I'm your host, Russell Glasser, filling in today for Matt, uh, and with me today is Tracy Harris. Hello. Today is Sunday, June 22nd, 2014. We're a live call-in public access television show uh, based in Austin, Texas, dedicated to promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. We uh, stream live at ustream.tv. The official Atheist Experience website is www.atheist-experience.com. You can also provide feedback by commenting at the official show blog. That's freethoughtblogs.com slash AXP. Or you can email us at tv at atheist-community.org. If you enjoy this show, you can check out our related podcast, The Nonprofits, currently airing on the first and third Wednesday of the month. Tracy, dare I ask if Godless Bitches is ever going to get the gang back together? I am not the person to ask. Okay. I think that's being looked into. So. Uh, you can find links to uh, the nonprofits at the Athe- uh, Atheist Experience website, and the next one will be recorded on July 2nd. Uh, As always, the cast and crew of the Atheist Experience will be going to dinner after the show. Uh, We meet at El Arroyo at 1624 West 5th Street. Uh, We'll arrive around 6 p.m. I got a few announcements to make. Uh, First one, actually, I think I have a lot of announcements. Go through yours. Um, First of all, uh, I think I can say now that we've uh, actually... um, People were emailing us asking if we were going to be involved with the uh, with the new Roku channel that's produced by American Atheists. <clears throat> and at the time, uh, we had no indication that we were, but now, yes, we are. Of course, if you're already watching this show live right now, you're not going to get anything new out of this because it just means you'll be able to watch a bunch of reruns on Roku someday. But it's cool. But it is really cool that there's an all-atheist channel and we're excited about getting new uh, audience who are not you faithful viewers. Um, Of course, someday you might be seeing this episode on Roku and then this (laughs) announcement will just be weird. Um... Uh, let's see. Okay, so there's going to be uh, the annual Bat Cruise. There's a date set for that. It is September 27th, and this is the big annual ACA shindig where uh, people come from all over the country and even occasionally some other countries uh, to spend a couple of hours on a boat uh, watching bats fly out from under the bridge. We've got the lo- largest urban bat population in North America here in Austin. Uh, And it's going to be a great time. So you can check that out on the ACA website. Personal announcement. I am uh, repeating that I will be appearing in Abilene, Texas, uh, on July 26th. That's right. Uh, It's going to be... It's hosted by the Abilene Atheist Alliance, and it's going to be at the public library starting at 1.30 it seats 140 people, and I'm told that they expect to get a lot of Christians. So if you want to balance that audience out, then by all means, <laughs> come on down. What else? Oh, yes. Uh, there's not going to be a show. There's not going to be an atheist experience show next week because it is the fifth Sunday of the month, and we routinely get bumped from the schedule. That's just the way the scheduling works. But there is going to be a show that is uh, in some way related. There's going to be a one-shot show called Speak to Grapho in this same time slot. 
and they've been uh, they're prepared to take a bunch of atheist calls themselves. So by all means, just tune in at the normal time next week and call that show instead of us. I think that's all. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to mention like a couple more things about the Bat Cruise. Oh yeah, please um, do. Just FYI, we have uh, we have confirmed our speakers, plural. Um, <sighs> This uh, this How year, yeah, yeah. So normally we have a lecture before the cruise, and this year we uh, we have two book speakers. We've got um, Dr. Richard Carrier, and we've also got Chris Johnson. Um, Dr. Carrier is going to be talking about a new book that he's got uh, coming out, and I think it actually is out. And he uh, he describes it as um, the first ever peer-reviewed academic book from a well-respected biblical studies press that systematically challenges the historical existence of Jesus. Um, and then Chris Johnson has been involved in producing a project um, called A Better Life, um, or the atheist book, you might know it, that talks about uh, meaning and joy in the lives of non-believers um, because of the often heard, uh, mis, I guess, misconception that atheists have no joy and meaning. <laughs> we love nothing and we're horrible nihilists and... You know, it's just like, uh, why don't we all just kill ourselves because there's no God? Anyway, <laughs> those are two projects that and I think are going to be important. Right? Just to be clear. Yeah, we that. don't. I, you know, and, and I mean, I, I'm sure that there are some atheists out there that probably do feel that way. It's just like there's, I'm sure, some believers who feel that way even though they believe in a God. And uh, But they're going to be talking about these projects. Um, Chris has the next phase of his project coming up. He produced the book, um, which was really uh, well done, I think, in... Um, He's also got a film version coming out that is going to be timed uh, shortly after the back cruise, so we thought that that would be a good opportunity for him to be speaking about um, his upcoming project, and for Richard Carey, it's good timing because <coughs> he'll be speaking about you know his recently released project. So both of these uh, speakers are going to have interesting things going on uh, in different levels of the community that I think will be worth hearing. And then, of course, afterwards, there's the back cruise, uh, the 1.5 million Mexican free-tailed bats. So much bats. <laughs> More bats than you can shake a stick at, but you're welcome to try and shake sticks at them. Don't hit them because Don't bats are the bats are good. Sticks. They eat, what is it, 10 to 20,000 <laughs> pounds of bugs per night. Uh, it's quite the, the flight from what I've seen. But anyway, that's just trying to Great. say what we can about it. Uh, actually, there's one other thing I'm doing that I forgot to mention. Uh, the week before the Abilene talk, I'm going to be in uh, Seattle visiting my dad. And since my friends at the Ask an Atheist show uh, happen to be there also, I'm going to be hanging out with them and being on their show. And if you're a person who likes this show in Seattle, then you can totally hang out with us after that happens. So check out their website, I guess, for details on that. Uh, all right, so you have no topic today, right, besides I, what you just did? I don't. I just would like to clarify one thing. The, yes. uh, the two-quay uh, fallacy gets oh, misquoted a lot. I mean, it gets misused a lot, and I just want to clarify. It's really only a fallacy if you're trying to justify your position by pointing out the other person's hypocrisy. Merely pointing out that someone else is being hypocritical is not a fallacy. Not it's everybody knows Latin. It's too cool um, It just means you too. Uh, <laughs> and so all it is, I mean, but, but the point is, um, if if I'm doing something that is being criticized... 
and someone comes up and criticizes it. It says that there's a problem with that it's causing issues, whatever. And then I turn and say, well, you're doing it too. The fallacy would only happen if I then said, so that makes it okay for me to do it. <laughs> so it's, it's fine to point out like, huh, well, you're a heck of a hypocrite coming up and criticizing people for something that you're doing as well. That's not a fallacy. That's just a fact. Right. right. Senator, don't you right. also have sexual relations <laughs> right. with yeah. Dodgers? Um, you're hardly the one to be criticizing. But the criticism may still be valid, and that's the point. If you try to use the fallacy in order to say that the criticism is invalid, then you've got a problem. That's fallacious. The criticism is still valid. It's just that you're both doing it. Um, but I've heard it used in situations like recently. I heard it used um, in, the, in the Psy and Matt debate where it was misused. And... Uh, Basically, Sai's position was that his worldview is superior because it accounts for things that he believes other worldviews do not. And so he called out Matt on a particular point that he said, your worldview does not um, address this. And Matt said, well, neither does yours. And he said, well, that's too quoque. And it's like, no, it's not. You're the one making the claim that your worldview is superior because his doesn't account for this. It's perfectly reasonable to point out, but yours doesn't account for this. So... How does yours become superior based on this? Right, because Sai's <laughs> whole argument is based on, like, you know, you should pick my belief right. by default right. because his doesn't explain stuff. Right, and, and so if somebody's telling you that what they've got is better because yours does not do X, Y, Z, and theirs does not do X, Y, Z, then it's fair to ask them, how is yours better if the reason you're thinking it's better is that it, you know, it's lacking X, Y, Z. Yours also lacks X, Y, Z. And just to be clear, I didn't think that, uh, that it was actually something that needed to be accounted for in a worldview. Um, I think that it might have been a, a, a bit of a, like, almost like one of those questions where they say, well, who created it if it's a creation? It's like, well, you're, you're making some assumptions there, and I don't think that the question itself is even demonstrated to be a valid question at that point. Um, and so, you know, that was just one example. But, you know, don't, it, when you start throwing it down just because someone points out hypocrisy, it's, anyone can point out hypocrisy. That's just simply factual if it's, if it's actually happening. And it's, uh, it reminds me a little bit of when people use ad hominem, um, and they'll, they'll throw that down when, whenever there's anything that's negative or insulting, right? And ad hominem could actually be a factual statement. It doesn't even have to be, um, an insult. It could be, right. for example, if Russell, if you had done something that was really bad or illegal, and I said, oh, we don't have to listen to what Russell's saying about this topic over here because, well, he broke the law and he's like not even an honest person because of that. Well, it might even be true that he did that. Maybe he got arrested and put away, and so we all know that it was a fact that it happened. But it's still only an ad hominem if I try to invalidate what he's actually arguing as a result of that piece of information that I'm trying right. to use so as negative. Saying your argument is invalid and you're a butthead yeah. is not, not an ad, ad hominem. hominem. Yeah, and telling somebody that they're a hypocrite is not too quoque. And uh, right. it, it's only when you're trying to say that my position is not invalidated by that. But it, if you give your argument and say, I believe my position is valid on this, um, and you're being a hypocrite... <laughs> I think that's totally fair. I don't think that there's anything fallacious about that. So just to kind of clarify it, please don't um, don't toss out fallacy labels if you're not sure what they mean. And if somebody calls you out and says that's not what it means, please do go and look it up because you could be wrong. Right. Okay, uh, we're starting with Bradley in Ohio. Bradley, are you there? Hello? Hello, is this me? That's you. Are you Bradley? If you're yeah, from Idaho. 
Oh, oh, okay, they have you in well, they Ohio. they put you on there wrong. Bradley, Bradley from Idaho. Idaho. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Yeah, you're on the air. Yeah, with the 4th of July coming up, and um, I'm LDS, and the separation of state and religion, I I think it was great. Otherwise, my the LDS church would have not have existed. Um, my question is, okay. uh, how far does that go? Like, uh, I watched one of your shows one time, and you were talking about how some religion, if somebody has a dying relative, and they won't use uh, hospitals or doctors to, to heal them, and the government won't step in and say, no, we need to save this guy's life, I don't know. Well, wait a minute. For, okay, well, here's a question. The person that is uh, refusing medical treatment, are they an adult? Oh, uh, no, no. I saw this one of your programs. Right, but what I'm saying is in the example of the person refusing the medical treatment, was the person refusing treatment an adult? Yes. Okay, well, then they can do that. The, the state has no compunction to go in there and force them to yeah, have medical right. treatment. And bear in mind, we don't have an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of our own shows. We yeah. don't remember every single But, I mean, you can opt to basically make bad decisions about your medical welfare and, and end up killing yourself, basically. Yeah, but if it comes to the point where a parent is making decisions on behalf of a minor and it's uh, decisions that could be seriously harmful to their health, the state absolutely does have an interest right. in coming in to protect somebody who doesn't have a say over their own uh, over their own well-being. I see. But I mean, so Are going you... back a minute, you said you were a Mormon. Yeah. And you think that it's cool to violate separation. No, no, no. no. He was you were saying no. you 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 support separation, correct? Yeah. Yeah, cuz he said his church wouldn't have be even in existence if it weren't for separation. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh <laughs> So we're atheists. We wouldn't be especially broken up if the Mormon Church hadn't existed. But uh, we still I, support. It's fine for me if uh, you know the separation of church and state also leads to competition among religions. <laughs> well, but also, I mean, that I think you raise a, a great point, Collar, in that separation of church and state is there to protect religious freedom. I mean, you're a fantastic example of this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that when someone promotes separation of church and state, it's because they hate religion, they want to kill religion, they just don't want it. And it's like, no, it, it protects people because it allows them to then go and worship based on their conscience and not via some kind of a state mandate. Yeah, yeah. It, it protects a minority religion like yours against mm -hmm. the tyranny of the majority. Yeah. So we're in agreement, right? Pretty much. I think he was just asking about, like, certain cases and how we would handle that, you know. I mean, there's never going to be, like, a, a full separation of church and state as far as, like, the idea. I mean, it's, it's mostly about endorsement, right? Because, for example, um, churches, if a church is burning down next to your house, you want the fire department to come out there and put that flame out, right? You don't want a structure burning down next to your home. So yeah. uh, we would want the state to come out and help them and put out that fire, mm -hmm. even though that's a state agency. They would integrate at that point and go and put out a fire at a church structure, and I think that's fair. Uh, and sure. then there's the question of taxation. You know, if you're gonna, if the church is going to use these services, should they help to pay for them? I think it's fair that they do. 
Um, but at the same time, whether they do or not, I don't want the structure burning down when it's next to my house. So I support, you know, not letting structures just burn down in flames. Um, and I would support sending an ambulance out if somebody in the church, you know, collapsed uh, with with some sort of medical need. Um, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't restrict. Uh, I would. I wouldn't say no. Sorry, we can't send an ambulance. It's a church. <laughs> you can't. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for calling. Yeah, and then uh, what? Um. Also, I was in the army, and I met my first atheist up there, and he was he was actually pretty cool to talk to, and crazy yeah. of what I've heard in the past. That's and good. when nine eleven hit, uh, the next day my sergeant he wanted to do a prayer, and I told him that my buddy was atheist. And he probably didn't feel comfortable with the prayer. And so the sergeant says, okay, we'll go somewhere else and pray. And if you don't want to come with us, that's fine. And so I want to bring this experience because I, I don't think all Christians are bad in pushing their way for other people. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for sticking up for your friend like that. Yeah, and uh, and also I agree. I mean, definitely different people deal with their beliefs in different ways, and some people are far more pushy than other people. You're absolutely right. All right, thank you. Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye. I'm still not sure I'm completely comfortable with the sergeant leading the prayer, even if he separated. Yeah, it maybe out. we could have asked more but, questions. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but at least, I mean, at least he, he he's made more of an effort, I suppose, to not you know, inflicted on people than a lot of other stories we've heard. Right. Uh, so we've got uh, Adnan in Chicago. Yeah, hey guys, how are you guys doing? Good, good. how, how are, are you? you? Hey, before we begin, um, um, I'm, a, I'm an ex-Muslim, um, mm-hmm. and Tracy, I have to say, will you marry me? <laughs> I'm, I'm already, already married. Oh, are you? Okay, oh, never yeah. mind. I don't watch the show, sorry. But I guess if you're ex-Muslim, maybe that's not a problem. I don't know. <laughs> oh. No, wait, listen, Muslim is not a problem. Muslims are supposed to have up to four wives. There you go. So, I, does it work the other way? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, as I said, I, I'm an ex-Muslim, and I needed some information regarding the no-true-Scotsman fallacy. Um, whenever <laughs> I have, I don't bring up religion with my family or my relatives or any other Muslim I come across, but... They try to bring me back into the fold, and I point out hypocrisy and double standards, and they always say, well, they're not true Muslims, or they're not following the Quran properly. Right. So what is the best um, our counter-argument against no true Scotsman? Okay, well, to start with, you, you can't really necessarily rely on using your ex-Muslim status as any kind of authority with these people anyway. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'd just like to point out that as an atheist, my point of view on who's a true Muslim or who's a true Christian or whatever is Mm -hmm. nobody. (laughs) Because it doesn't matter what's a true Christian or not. Uh, It's largely a self-applied label, and all the people who use it at the time have their own conceptions about what a true Muslim or a true Christian or whatever should be. And it's usually whoever agrees with my particular set of doctrines. So, um, 
I, I think that maybe discussing whether you're a real ex-Muslim or not might just be a red herring and take you down a path that you don't really want to go down. Uh, you know, you might kind of challenge them and say, well, you know, I was, I thought I was a pretty sincere Muslim, and it turns out you say I never was. How do you know you're a true Muslim? Turns out you could be wrong. But that isn't likely to really sway any particular person's opinion because, of course, they know in their head that they're the true version and you're not. I have kind of an unrelated question for you. Yeah. Go ahead. If they believe you were never a true Muslim, do, do they accept that you're not an apostate? Oh, they good question. Except me, I try to be very delicate because there are a lot of issues. There's a lot of... I'm the minority. I'm the only one in my family, so... And I'm the youngest one, so I have to be very delicate in picking, choosing battles. I'm a very firm advocate of picking your battles. Sure. So I try to be very delicate. For the most part, they have accepted it, and I, again, I don't push it. Once I become more independent, I will be more vocal. So uh, does that answer your question? Well, no. What I'm trying to get at is most people would say that you're in a state of apostasy, but if they're claiming you were never Muslim, then you're not an apostate. Do you know what their position is on that? Um, I have known Muslims um, who are very adamant and say, no, I should either be forced to convert or I should be disowned, but my family is more laid back because, again, they are more, again, it's, they are, Indians tend to have very large and integrated families. So um, I don't know how to answer your question. I mean, basically the question <laughs> do they is, consider that, you? Do they consider you apostate or not? Because if you were never Muslim, then you can't possibly be apostate. So it's they consider me to be an apostate. They do consider you so, apostate. So they think you're an apostate, but at the <laughs> but same you were never time, Muslim. they don't think you're, you were ever a Muslim. No, they, no, I was a Muslim when I was younger. I was a Muslim, I but, believe. Oh. But they're saying you weren't. Ne you were never a real Muslim. A true Muslim. No, no, no. They say that, um, like, when I bring out examples of, like, issues that go on in oh. Saudi, issues that go out in India, issues that go out in Indonesia, when I point that out, they say, well, those people aren't following the Quran. Okay, they're not okay. got it. Oh, okay, got it. so Thank they use that clarifying. as an excuse for the fact that, that terrible things befall people in those yeah. other countries when Allah not should true. be protecting Muslims. them. Right, right. Correct, correct. I have a big issue with double standards and hypocrisy and injustice, so I point out, well, how can you say the Quran says this and Saudi is the most Muslim country? How come you know they're following the Quran, they chop off hands of people who steal? Oh, so, yeah, okay, so... I don't know, when I, when I encounter, like, I get into a lot more conversations about this with Christians than not, mm -hmm. but Christians are always accusing each other of not being yeah. real Christians. And all, Correct. and when it comes down to that, I as an atheist say, I don't want to take sides in this because I know those hand-chopping Muslims over there would say that you're not a real Muslim. So, just coming from the outside, how do I, the atheist, know which one of you is right? Like, like I know you're totally convinced that those Muslims are not real, and they're, they're totally convinced that you're not real. On what basis do I make a decision? And what's useful about that line of questioning is that it brings, around, brings in the idea of not believing stuff without good evidence. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see what you mean. What, what ends up happening is I get very frustrated. And I, say, I don't. Yeah. I believe. I don't know what the hell to do. You know, like what? Who is the? Who's the true Muslim? Well, who am I supposed to believe? I can't argue with you when you won't give me a definition, and I just shut down the arguments. Or I just shut down the sense. Like, okay, I, yeah, I'll read the Quran. Oh, yeah, I'll try to whatever, and just because it doesn't.
doesn't go anywhere. Well, remember so. also, it's good to keep, bear in mind that if you're dealing with completely unreasonable person people, you don't have to keep talking to them. It's it's not benefiting you and it's not benefiting them and so there's no shame in just walking away from an argument and saying, Look, I can't talk to you anymore. I hear you, but as I said, I have lost it from India this week oh. or the past couple of weeks and again I get I avoid them till the end of the day. I really do avoid them but yeah. It's a family thing. I have to feed them because obviously they're my relatives. So, yeah, it kind of runs into that. So I wasn't sure if there was any well, logical way to if, argue. If you've got a large family that. gathering, then uh, maybe your goal should be to make sure that people who are maybe sort of in the middle on the fence can see you arguing with these people and they're sounding unreasonable. Then there's a point to talking to them. <laughs> if you, my best solution is I'm. By myself, my family's all, well, actually, coincidentally, they've gone to a wedding. I decided not to go just right. because it's either, it's much more convenient and a lot easier to just avoid this than to get into those debates. So, Sometimes it is. be a headache. Yeah. There's so. good food at weddings, though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> true There's enough. Cake and I, stuff. I, I, um, one other question I have for you guys. Do a lot of Muslims come in and call? I mean, I don't have the time to sit and watch the whole hour-long show. I just Hardly ever. on YouTube. Hardly ever. Honestly. Yeah, and we appreciate the calls, honestly. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm a very big avid fan of you guys. I try to watch as much as I can, but as again, I, I, I don't believe, have the time um, to go to. I, I remember on the uh, nonprofits this week, I just read a, a story in the New York Times uh, which mentioned that there are several ex Muslim groups in America. You might want to look those up. Yeah, I'm part of it. There's a thing called oh. Muslims of North America. I'm part of that. Um, okay. And they're growing in other cities, which is awesome. I, I really appreciate the fact that they're growing. But some of the issues are that that threats are real. They are a yeah. genuine threat. So we try to keep it uh, keep a very low profile just because safety is a major concern. Well, so we yeah, thank you. I mean, it's, uh, it's hopefully there are the Muslims listening, but there's a thing called ex-Muslims of North America. And it's a support group, basically. So, and it's growing in Dallas, Austin, Chicago, New York, Toronto. That's great. California. That is great. So, cool. Yeah, and please, please, well, we welcome calls from um, your Muslim family. <laughs> oh yeah, so. encourage them. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have my head if they saw, like, if, they, if they found out I called you guys. Send them the clip. Say, hey, I was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will put this on the Xmas on the web page. Or, uh, I'll try to have somebody do that, so hopefully it can get around a little bit. Cool. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That was a good one. Thank you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Uh, Tony in Australia. Hey, go, guys. Hello. Go. Hello. Hi. Hey, Tom. Oh, all right, do it. Like, I guess two, two questions and I guess a comment. Um, but um, mainly of my point for calling was um, I was watching an episode on uh, Jesus loves uh, a captive audience or something like that. <laughs> Sounds and like a was, gone time. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to, so I guess, share a personal experience and sort of how I became a Christian. And that's why I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm an atheist. But um, I, was, uh, I went to jail a few years ago now. Uh, for, for two years, I, it's a long story, but essentially I, I tried to rob an armored car, which was a really dumb thing to do. Yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Really messes with your life. Um, anyway, 
through my experience in jail, I wasn't really, uh, I, mean, I was raised Catholic, but I wasn't practicing, I wasn't, didn't really, it didn't really factor into my life uh, decisions or whatever I thought or did. Uh, but when I was in jail, it um, became very big because it was just, if anything, nice to sort of get away from general population to sort of converse and talk with sort of, I guess, normal people from that come in from the outside to sure. visit prisoners and whatnot. And, um, yeah, it was, um, uh, I became, a, I guess, not a, uh, what would you call them? I just became sort of Christian uh, without any labels, Christian. Um, and, and then when I left jail, I kept kept on going to, um, what's the word, Pentecostally sort of type sort of churches and um, not really knowing, uh, I guess, why I believed what I believed and just sort of hoping that the Holy Spirit would come into me and all that sort of stuff. Would you uh, say, really I mean, uh, a lot of people claim that uh, converting to Christianity makes you less likely to commit those crimes. Would you say that that happened in your case or not? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I feel like... Um, uh, I guess you'd say maybe you just did some growing up anyway. Or yeah, something like yeah, that. definitely. You have time to reflect. I, I, I honestly just felt shitty about what I did. You know, like I just felt mm-hmm. guilty about what I put my family through and friends through and what I, you know, did, did to myself um, and my future careers and you know, time wasted. And uh, but <laughs> I was just curious if there's um, what your opinion on that is and if there. Uh, Christianity is very prevalent in jails in America and um, or prison correctional systems. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's very prevalent, and there's a, there are cases that pop up every now and then with regard to sentencing, for example, where somebody might get sentenced to a program and it's like some kind of inherently religious program. Um, for you know either uh, addiction or rehabilitation of some sort. And they can often successfully sue and say, hey, I, I want to go through a secular program. I don't want to go through this religious program. There have also been um, lawsuits where... Well, like AA. Yeah. And, and there have, well, I don't know that AA is like um, strictly Christian. It's It's got the higher power angle. Um, mm. So I don't know really how AA is interpreted. But there are certainly, you know, treatment programs and also sort of, uh, I guess... Uh, like charitable programs a person can be told that they have to work with or go through in order to pay back to society. And um, when this is religious, they can sometimes uh, appeal to get something that's not religious. And also there were some cases within prisons where people um, were only allowed to do that, the kind of socializing you described with religious visits and groups. And so they, um, there have been suits where people went forward and said that they would like to have a secular option. And sometimes those have been successful. Uh, where uh, atheism has been protected. It's, it, I think the, the phrasing is something like protected as a religion. So it's, uh, it's not that atheism is a religion, but it is that it, it deserves all of the same protections that go under uh, the First Amendment religious protections. Okay. Um, anyway. There, yeah, there, there were also, um, you know, there was Chuck Colson's prison ministry, which I believe is still going on today, which would claim that... Uh, you know, you minister to people in prison and then you get 
you get them to stick to the program after they leave and it reduces their rate of recommitting crimes that would get them put back in yeah. jail. There were huge problems with that, with those claims, which I don't think I'll go into right now. But um, There's yeah. also the issue of people, um, I've also heard concerns about people maybe going into these programs in order to look good for an appeals board or oh, to yeah, look good sure. for a probationary board. You know, it just sort of looks good because religion gets yeah. that sort of automatic <laughs> respect whether it's really useful or not. Yeah, I, I don't know. When it, when it came down to sentencing, all that stuff was brought up to me. I don't think it made a damn difference at all. Maybe not. Um, okay. But, but, but people um, think that it will, well, and that's yeah. sometimes enough. Yeah, right? yeah. I um, Yeah, anyway, through, through going to jail, I became, I guess, a stronger Christian. And I, I essentially, I still lied to, and like my, my time was wasted even more. I could have been reading better books, I guess, um, in there. Uh, Anyway, off that topic, just quickly, um, I've got a sort of argument issue with a co-worker, uh, and she's a, a, I guess, a Pentecostal Christian, you know, through one of those um, rock band churches, and really nice girl, uh, and in fact, she's, she's amazing, but um, she really does believe everything literal in the Bible, okay. and um, uh, and she talks about the New Covenant, as I brought up some Old Testament stuff, and I sure. even brought up some of the immorality of the uh, beatitudes stuff that Matt goes on about and um, she says oh but that doesn't matter because it's the new covenant um, oh. I just wanted, I, I'm uh, going to give you a link that you can look up and this will probably okay. tell you what you need to know at ironchariots.org um, yep. which is which is a wiki that Matt and I set up to kind of be a repository for counter arguments uh, yep. search oh, for I think it's but that's the old testament <laughs> Uh, okay. And there's an article on that which will include a number of responses that you can you can make to that line of reasoning. Like one of them okay. is, well, the Ten Commandments is also the Old Testament, so is that no longer valid? But anyway, check that out. Ironchariots.org, but that's the Old Testament. Yeah, let me just pull out to the, there's a there's a whole lot of confusion regarding the law and what aspects of the law carried forward, didn't carry forward, what's still in you know you can get bogged down in that in a big way. In general, that old law applied to the Hebrews only. Whether or not it was still applicable to the Hebrew Christians, they can argue about that. I think that there are verses that make it clear that it was still applicable to them. I think Acts 15 and Acts 22 make it pretty clear that Paul endorsed um, keeping the old laws in Jewish Christian homes. And I think that he endorsed um, keeping the old law uh, in regards to raising their children under the law. He also appealed yeah. to um, have the non-Jews who were becoming Christians um, adhere to laws on diet and laws on sexual morality. So he he included um, old law restrictions even on the non-Jews who were joining the church. Uh, now, there's other verses that seem to negate that. Mm. Big surprise, right? The Bible's got verses that yeah. conflict. Yeah, so if you go down that path, you're going to get counter verses, and you're going to get into this, this rabbit hole of apologetics where people are trying to make these things that conflict make sense and work together, and so it's going to get really hairy really fast. The best thing mm. I can recommend is that you simply point out that, okay, God gave this law to the Jews, correct? I mean, at least you know she believes that. Whether it's in yeah. effect today or not, he gave this law to the Jews. God thought this law was a good idea. 
And Jesus says that the law was a good idea, even if she thinks that Jesus ultimately, you know, uh, made it obsolete. He still praised it. So Jesus praised that law. God gave a group of people that law. And so it's fair to say, do you think God was right in giving that law to people? Was, is that the kind of law you would give to somebody to stone people to death and kill witches yeah. and, you know, kill, a, yeah, kill people for sex? And, like, really, this is, this yeah. is a, a law that you support as, like, a good and decent thing to do to other human beings. It's like Sharia yeah. law. It's like basically saying God gave Sharia yeah. law to this group of people, and I'm okay with that. It's like, really, you're okay with that? Because that's brutal. Yeah. She, she, she has argued that um, it, but it, it's not about the law anymore. It's about the, uh, like the personal relationship sort of things with Jesus. It, it doesn't matter. The, the thing is, even if yeah. she believes that, the point is, do you believe that this law was given to people by God? And if so... How do you defend that your God was decent in doing that? Yeah, hold the point. Yeah, yeah. No worries. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your time, Joe. I really appreciate it. Big fan. And sure. uh, also, just quickly, when are you uh, or one of your delegates going to come to Australia, or have you already been involved? I missed you. I don't know if we're. Uh, are what? we even allowed to talk about this? Well, I mean, I'm I'm a registered member of the Secular Student Alliance speakers, and also. Uh, with Samara Lectures, so if you've got a local student group or atheist group or anything, you can feel free to float my name to them. Yeah. Uh, you never know who might show up in Australia. Well, if you ever start in holidays, definitely um, uh, check out Brisbane, because Sydney yeah. and Melbourne are popular in Brisbane, it's a cool city. Anyway. Okay. okay. No worries, guys. No, thank you for your time. Sure, Thanks for thank calling. You. Right. No, it's uh, Okay. Anne in Virginia. Anne? Hey, guys. How are y'all? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm working on an argument, and I wanted to float it past you. Uh, I think that if you are an atheist and you consider yourself moral, then you have to be a socialist, or you have to believe in the socialist economic system. I and already don't agree with you, but I know, you haven't given me your argument yet. Please don't yell at me. I will change my opinion based on evidence. <laughs> okay. So, but the idea is, um, I mean, capitalism basically is a competition. You know, who can make the most money and, and do better than their fellow humans and who can, um, you know, climb to the top of that pile. Whereas socialism considers all humans have innate value and they should all be taken care of to a certain extent. Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, not getting into the parts where I agree with you about your values, maybe, to some extent. I do want to say that there's nothing about being an atheist that makes you necessarily value humans. I, I mean... Well, I think know, she's atheism. talking about atheists that claim they're innately moral. Uh, if you're going to well, say, I don't okay. value human beings, I think you're pretty much outside well, that uh, group I, I think maybe you could make an argument that humanists should should believe, uh, should believe be socialists, although I'm not sure I'm willing to follow you there either. But uh, I would probably okay. start there instead. Um, the, the thing I'm thinking about is that, you know, for an atheist, we are the true believers in YOLO. You know, you only live once. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, no? Sorry, I have an allergic reaction to the phrase YOLO. I like uh, the, who who said it was uh, carpe diem for stupid people. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I apologize. But, I should have yeah, I know what you're anyway. saying. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we, and so if we turn away from our fellow humans that we believe are only here one time around, then that makes us immoral. And that's the direction capitalism goes. You have to compete. You have to try to sell people things they don't need. You have to climb up this ladder which is basically, I mean, in one sense, it has to do with evolution. I mean, evolution is competition among animal species, and we are animals. But I can't believe I'm going to say this, but have you hashed this out with any objectivists? Because they would say, they would say, and I don't agree with them, but they would say that the only uh, uh, truly way, the only way to be truly moral is to be as capitalist as possible. And I think, just like I was saying to the guy earlier about who's a true Muslim and who's not, uh, you know, it, it's most interesting when, to put the two of you in a room and hash out with each other wh- what is the absolute correct path. Whereas I don't think, I, I mean, mm. <laughs> I do think that there's a way to uh, discuss morals without, uh, without getting into the kind of absolutes that you and they would be talking about, but um, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> bail me out, I'm, Tracy. I'm I can't bail you out because I, <laughs> I appreciate socialism. Okay. And I, <laughs> I'm I just not saying I don't. Yeah, like yeah, it. And, and I mean, I think the the issue here is the question of whether or not you can be moral and not socialist, which I think is where where you're. Taking it to a point where I'm, I'm, you might be walking into deep water. Um, I understand what you're saying about it. Well, first of all, there's there's the question of what is what is morality. I have a very like boundary tied idea of what I accept as moral and what I do not accept as moral. And so, um, to me, obligation to other people, you know, to what degree, you know, there is a, an obligation to other people. I accept that, and I accept that as a, as a moral imperative. But there is a point that the obligation begins to falter, right? So, for example, everybody would probably say that if you saw someone dying in the street and you didn't even bother to, like, speed dial 9-11 um, as you were driving past in your, you know, your car... Um, most people would say, wow, that's pretty immoral that you didn't even, you know, you don't even do the slightest thing to inconvenience yourself in a way that's not even an inconvenience, and you're letting a person bleed to death on the side of the road just from sheer, you know, complete lack of all of the moral metrics, lack of compassion, lack of empathy, lack of, you know, a sense of right. you know, fairness, equity. I mean, it's, it's, in my opinion, void of any metric that we would, you know, usefully apply to the term moral. Um, but at the same time, you have situations where there's a building burning down. Let's say an orphanage is burning down, and I'm watching it burn to the ground, and there's all these poor children stuck in there, but I feel like if I run in there, I could die. Um, I think most people would say would be sympathetic if I said I felt horrible, I felt like I was so helpless and I wanted to go and help, but there was nothing I could do. Most people wouldn't say, oh, you're an immoral, horrible person. Uh, you just have to run in there, and if you die, you die. I mean, we tend to draw a line when it comes to the cost of our lives or the lives of others that are going to have to be traded um, or potentially put at risk for helping other people. That's when we say that obligation is too much, and you have to consent to that. That's not something we can just, as a society, compel. Um, now, where is the line between dialing 911 as I drive past um, or 
you know, putting my, my life at risk for other people. Um, I think most people would say putting your life at risk is, is kind of beyond normal, you know, or beyond moral. That's why we tend to call such people heroes. We'll say, like, oh, it was a heroic act, right? It was beyond the normal human um, obligation. So I... Where, where that line is of where you have not met an obligation that makes you now having crossed the line of morality, where that line comes where it's like this is too much to ask of you, I don't know. Yeah, I, I look at morality as a set of competing principles that are always kind of in conflict with each other. You know, I don't want to hurt people, but I want to have as much freedom as possible. And, uh, you know, when, when, those, when those different principles come into conflict... It can be subjective in a sense about which ones you give uh, you give more weight to. I mean, I am more liberal than a lot of people that I know, so I'm very much in favor of uh, of social safety nets and programs that don't let the poor starve in the streets. But at the same time, I do have some amount of of uh, individualism where I don't think that I necessarily have to, like Tracy was saying, sacrifice myself in all situations, even if it's for the greater good. Uh, I think those things need to be balanced out, and I think that morality is never as straightforward as saying, we've discovered the exact formula for how you should act in all cases. Sure, absolutely. I, I would return and argue that the, the driving past the injured person on the road is what happens in capitalism only slower. And it's, you know, the further you get past the person, the easier it is to forget they were there. And that's why I lean toward a socialist economic system that tries not to forget. Yeah, that may but be, but you're going to drive me to defend the kind of right-wing <laughs> economics, and I hate that I'm heading in this direction. Uh, no, but no. Come back. <laughs> Come back to the light. Just because um, I have to be contrarian here, but I, I mean... Oh, sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's, that's the whole point of me starting the conversation. Um, uh, I, I mean... Gosh, unintended consequences. I, I mean, ba- basically, pe- individuals need to have motivations and incentives to act a particular way. Uh, and if you go too far in the direction of removing personal payoff uh, and, and uh, you know, de- demanding that they go all the way over on the side of sacrifice, uh, you're going to wind up with a very apathetic population. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, at least it isn't that, really that extreme. And, and a, of course, a, I, I would think yeah. that a, an objectivist would go way, way farther with that principle in the other direction yeah. than I just did. But I do think that there's a little bit of merit to that point. I just think innovators will innovate, whether they're rewarded, you know, concretely or not. Sure. I like, some of our, you, you know, know, I'm a software engineer. I like programming for fun. But I also really like to get paid, and sure. so, some of the stuff I know, that I do. Some of will pay you. <laughs> yeah, but still, I, I don't know if I can keep going with this though. That's okay. Can you tell me what I should name your building? I'm designing a secular college, and I've come up with a name for everybody except you. Me? And all I can come up with is the <laughs> anesthesiology lab, which will be the glass or gas passer. <laughs> Whoa! Your name okay. I've, I've got the Tracy Harris Terrace, the Dillahunty Dwelling. Mine's a lot nicer than yours. 
What is this, Dr. Seuss College? I think yours just got named because you're arguing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that'll teach me. If I ever win the lottery. Right. Wow. Okay. Sorry, what do you think on it? Um, yeah, I'll give it some thought. All right, thanks for we'll calling. We'll give it all the Thank thought you. it deserves. All right. Bye. Uh, Roxy in Houston, Texas. Hey there, guys. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. good. How, How are, are you? you? I'm doing all right. I'm currently driving, so if I cut off, I, could, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm calling because I wanted to ask you guys a particular question. Um, I was born and raised in New York, um, raised by a hardcore Catholic family, and um, I switched over to the dark side <laughs> about a decade ago. Um, and during that time period, I had moved down to Texas. Um, it was a very Part of the problem with driving calls, in addition yes. to safety, safety situations. Right. Pull over if you're going to yeah, do that. Yeah, please, not uh, only please don't call it, us while you're driving. Not only will it keep you safer, but also um, other people safer. You you won't accidentally drive into a dead zone. Yeah. Uh, right. But oh, the question was, how do I keep sane in in the Bible Belt? Um, it's a pretty broad question. Do you have anything to say about it? Find a local <laughs> secular group. Yeah, I'm sure. Aren't there? Come on, Houston people. I yeah, know Houston's there are a big place. secular groups there, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Texas runs some good uh, conventions that are uh, often available. Yeah, I mean, I mean Houston has NASA. Surely yeah. there are a lot of. Or you can join online forums people. and get a lot of support at online forums. Right, from start friends a online. blog. That's what. We've all done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blog your frustrations as a, a atheist living in Houston. It would be great. Or YouTube it if you prefer video. Yeah. Just don't read the comments. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ben in Canada. Halifax. How are you doing this evening? Hello. Good. good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, yeah, so yesterday I had to have the I'm not a Christian anymore conversation with my parents. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah, um, actually, it went extraordinarily well. I, I was just Got thinking oh, that um, congratulations. That if everyone's conversation like that went the way mine did, that we'd have a whole lot less broken families in the world. If only we could all live in Halifax. <laughs> yeah, if I, I sometimes make my uh, think whatever because uh, I live in Canada and not the Bible Belt. But uh, yeah, but now I've, I've done that, and that was the major hurdle. I mean, I still have to tell my grandparents, but... Um, the parents are through, the sisters are through, so now I'm sort of at this thing. I'm just wondering, is it, is it sort of normal that after you've lived your entire life, two decades plus, as a, in a religion, and then you deconvert to suddenly feel very, very excited about it, like to preferably want to go to the rooftop and shout it? Yeah, even though uh, Christians say that, you know, how do you even enjoy your life or continue living? Uh, I, I've found that a lot of people who shed their religion will often say that uh, they're more excited and high on life than they've ever been. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't hurt to have, like, a supportive family, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel, is that I want to I, I want to find people to talk to about this, and I've been looking around, and I think there's a secular group here in Halifax that was going to join it, but, yeah, it's... It, I'm happier than I've been in my entire life because so many things just make so much more sense now. Very good. Yeah, and 
Of course, there is something to being able to look at the world sort of objectively and not try to stretch your brain trying to figure out what the purpose is in, <laughs> in every ridiculous random thing, but to just look at things for the first time with clear eyes and say, oh, that's how it works. Yeah, it, it also sort of cleared up moral issues, too. Like, there were things that yes. I didn't feel right about on my own. Like, uh, yeah. When I when I was I was raised in a Christian school, and when I was in uh, my grade, I was in grade eleven, we had to take a introduction to psychology, anthropology, sociology course, and the teacher, who was far right Christian, hardcore doctrine, whatever, um, set aside a period in time where we were going to write the Prime Minister of Canada to ask him not to redefine marriage to include gay people. There you go. What? This was in class, and yeah. I didn't feel right doing it. But right. I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to say that because all the authority figures I ever knew said that no, this is this is what we need to do. Yes. Uh, this is what the government is doing is incorrect, and I could never reconcile that until now. And now it just I, I don't have any have any such compunctions to side with the authority figures. Yeah, I mean, atheists still believe in right and wrong. It's just that once you get rid of some of the arbitrary rules that uh, that God supposedly laid out in the Old Testament, you realize there's no reason to uh, to go for things like not permitting same-sex couples right. to marry. I mean, right. there, there just isn't any other reason. Mm -hmm. Despite what uh, Charlie Checkham would say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's pretty much all I wanted to say. Thanks for listening to me. Um, no, I hope I, anyone else. I agree with you, and I agree with that dissonance too. Finally, going away. I remember racking my brain trying to figure out why. Um, like I, I remember being invited to assist when I was a teenager. I was invited to assist one of the male teachers at, at the high school, um, you know, youth kind of class. And I was very excited about it, of course. I was, like, Christian at the time, and I was just like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to get to assist with the class. And I was told, oh, wait, we, we realized one of the males in the class is baptized, which makes him a male Christian, which means that you cannot exercise authority, so you cannot be the assistant teacher. And I remember thinking to myself, but everybody here knows I'd be great. That's why I was asked. Why would yeah. God make such an arbitrary rule where a really useful tool like myself, where I could go in and do such good and I could really help teach and everyone knows I'm qualified to do this and that I'm very good at it and I know the Bible and I would just be so good at it, why would God want me to not be able to do it? It didn't make any sense to me. It was, like, like Russell's saying, it was so arbitrary to say that here's a person that would be so excellent in this position, but, oh, she doesn't have a penis, so, no. I was like, this, this doesn't seem like an all-knowing God rule. It seems like a really not-too-bright rule. It seems like a very bronzy rule. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, not a smart rule, because you're, you're cutting off some of your best resources at the knees and saying we can't utilize you. And I, I'm like, that's really not best for the group, is it? That's not best for the mm -hmm. religion. It can't be best for spreading the word of God to, to keep me shut down that way. Yeah, it didn't make sense. Even from my religious perspective, it made no sense. And yet I had to sit there and look at these verses and, you know, and say, how do I, how do I make sense of this? What am I not understanding? And I think that's the main thing, too, that's the, the most painful part of it from a Christian perspective, is that when you're confronted with this, you don't trust yourself. You think, what am I not understanding? Yeah, I can agree with that. That's the, I, live, I like to say I live with cognitive dissonance for two and a half decades, so. Yeah. It must be right, and I just don't get it. It's, you know, I just, it's beyond my can. So I just have to yep. accept it.
All right, thanks for uh, taking my call. I hope you have a good week. Thank okay, you. Thanks for calling. I know. Uh, I probably should not even do this because we've got a minute left. But uh, Roxy is back, and I hope Roxy is pulled over now. <laughs> hey there, guys. I apologize. I lost you guys. Okay. Are you still driving? I have you guys on my Bluetooth now. What do you think? On a what? <laughs> a Bluetooth. Uh, yeah, I'm going to let this be your call. You're the host. I All right, go you ahead. You know we're going to get complaints. I'd, I'd, <laughs> much, I'd much rather you pull over while yeah. you're talking. We will get complaints about accepting a, a call while driving. Come again, I'm sorry? We will get complaints about accepting callers while driving. People will write to us and say that we're being irresponsible. Oh, even though I have you on my Bluetooth? I don't know. I mean, I just know <laughs> they tend to think of us as distractions. Then, so. Yeah. Uh, except, uh, shoot, we got like 20 seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah, because we spent so much time talking about being on the phone. Uh, hang on, we'll take you in the after show. Uh, I'll get right back to you. Anyway, <laughs> that's our show. Thank you, Tracy. Sure, it was great. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in again. And, uh, uh oh, did I start too soon? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm going to say that we're ending the show anyway. We can so, have Muhammad dance. You know, yeah, Muhammad dance. <laughs> we can entertain. Hello, <laughs> hey, my honey. Hey, that's Hello, pretty good. Hello, good job, Muhammad. Michigan J. Frog. <laughs> the best I can do. Um, oh, yeah. Don't forget that we're going to dinner at El Arroyo afterwards. September 27th, Bat Cruise. Bat Cruise. No, 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 no. Okay. And now the awkward silence. <laughs> Timing is hard. Deep breath. Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.